Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Empower Ed Podcast and we continue with our season 3 adventure on listening to inspiring and amazing stories from educators around the world who will continue to share to us their stories of overturning our traditional mindset on education. And for this episode, we go all the way to Sydney, Australia. And now we have our guest, Alex Harper. Hi, Alex. Hi, Jim. It's so great to be with you today. I'm really excited about the discussion we're going to have. Okay. I met Alex through the Global Teacher Prize community. We're both finalists. Alex is part of year 2015. Is it correct, Alex? Yeah, that's correct. Absolutely, Jim. And I've enjoyed every moment of, you know, being with Alex in Dubai, sharing stories, you know, just having fun. There were some serious talks about education, of course, but I did enjoy the fun and candid moments with Alex, knowing her, uh, her story also. And I just love the fact that I have friends back in Australia, right? Along with my other friends, friends also in Australia. Alex, how are you? Yeah, really. I'm really, really well, Jim. And thank you for that lovely introduction. I must um, say one of the great benefits of being a Global Teacher Prize finalist is all the people I've got to meet and especially you and um, all the wonderful, hearing all the wonderful things you do with your teaching as well. Yeah, so we're, we're doing well over here in, in Australia now. It's, it's sort of been a tough summer, but it's, it's, it's turning around, I think. Yeah, we're just so happy knowing that everything's getting better. Of course, we continue to pray. We continue to remember all people in Australia right now. Things will oh, get better. Thank you. Yeah. thank you. For this episode, we are going to focus on early education, the expertise of Alex in terms of introducing her innovation on on early education at the same time you know i do love the work and i am impressed by the work of alex in terms of bringing the young kids outside of the school to learn i guess that's in fact a way of overturning the traditional mindset of how we do early education in our school so let me give the mic to alex Alex, could you formally introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Um, so my background is primary education. That's what I trained as. Uh, when I was working in primary school, I was very fortunate. The first school I worked at was right on the edge of a forest, or what we call bush here, and attached to the school was a preschool. So it led me to start questioning what children are coming to school with and realizing that they're not uh, just arriving at school with no history uh, with them. They arrive as very capable, competent human beings um, and really switched around this notion of getting children ready for school and looking at having um, getting school ready to welcome these children and taking the time to see the strengths that they bring with them, their interests, and also the areas that you could grow together. And that's where my attention and interest in early childhood began. And also being in a school that was right on the forest, uh, I had the privilege to be able to take children out into the bush, into nature, every every day, more than once a day if we liked as well. So I think that's right early in my career, 
there was a synthesis or an alignment between things that have become areas of interest with me, which is um, nature pedagogy, uh, well-being, I'm very interested in well-being, and early childhood. And I suppose I should introduce the concept of nature pedagogy. It stems in the forest school movement, uh, which started in the Nordic countries. And the concept behind it is... It's an outdoor nature-based learning approach uh, where you take children out to the same place um, on a regular basis so they get to see uh, nature in all its seasons and repeated exposure to the same space allows them to engage at a deeper level with the natural environment and notice things um, more and more on each visit so their attention to detail really escalates and it's an all-weather program so you take the children out rain or when it's sunny when mm -hmm. it's cool where it when it's hot so they get to see the natural world in all these elements um and i suppose it ties into uh, there's a gentleman called edward o wilson who developed this theory um that, about biophilia which is humans innate connection to nature which mm -hmm. um, goes back to our origins as a species where we were originally um, you know living out in nature and, and he has this theory where we still have that innate desire to connect to nature and and I suppose for me that context of having our place in the um, natural world and taking children out into nature uh, reaffirms that um, and gives them a sense of place. Um, it also promotes their sense of sustainability. If you develop connection to something, um, then you have greater empathy yeah. uh, for it. So, and I think that's really important as we're moving into an area of human history where we're going to have to be more aware of our connection and our responsibilities to nature. So that's sort of that, that element there. I love what you mentioned about bringing the students out, the idea of finding their place in nature and reconnecting with nature. I just have one question on this. Sure. I love the idea, but the current setup right now is we bring the young kids in school. Some parents, as early as like three-year-old, they bring already their young children to school, like really be in, in the classroom do some tests, answer some paper and pen activities or whatever. Does the nature pedagogy go against or does it support or what? what is its place in this current setup that we are seeing right now? I think that's a great question, Jim. And I think the narrative of education at the moment tries to create binary approaches. I don't think you have to choose mm -hmm. either or. I think both can coexist. I suppose the thing that challenges people about taking children out into nature is um, a lot of people trying to protect children um, and when you take them out into nature you you know they are exposed to risk they do climb trees um, they will um, you know climb over rocks you know they they will explore things like that but I suppose the uh, philosophy underpinning it is that a child has the ability to manage 
their their risk. Um, and I think when we're the push down of the curriculum into early childhood, um, we're getting children reading early, getting them into um, classrooms, yeah. the traditional view of what education is. I really feel that's denying children their childhood, and I, I really have strong views on that. I think that's it's not okay. Children should they have a right to their childhood. Linked with that is a child's way of learning when they're younger is through play. Uh, and if you start taking children in at a really early age, sitting them down at desks, you know, mm -hmm. doing yeah. that more formal approach as opposed and just only do that and no play-based learning, I think it's really at odds with how young children learn and it's also um, may not be meeting their developmental developmental needs. Also, yeah. by taking children inside and doing that more sitting at desk approach, uh -huh. they're, they're not learning how to be responsible risk takers. Then um, They're not really learning things at their own pace to build their confidence. They're not building their independence. Yeah. It's not a very creative approach. Play-based learning, children learn by trial and error, which fosters so many um, of the 21st century skills that people are saying that they want in children. All of those elements there are in play-based learning that they can develop um, with children in that way. So I think to restrict children at a young age is, you know, denying their natural way of learning, which is play-based. Mm -hmm. It's denying their childhood and it just has an adverse outcome. It restricts their potential growth. Yeah. I love how you connect the essence of play or play-based learning with your your nature pedagogy. I mean, like when kids go out, it's very experiential. Like I remember when I was a kid, I learned about the parts of the flower, the butterflies, or caterpillar because we had a garden outside our home. I learned first out of curiosity. I remember getting a caterpillar, creating my own terrarium, and you know, watching things change. I know that it was not something serious, but I was enjoying it. You know, I feel what your message on you know, uh, we bring our students earlier, we bring our kids earlier to the school, and we let them sit for a long time, take on a very serious mode of learning, paper, pen, everything. And I love that you're redirecting the idea of preparing students, you know, for the future, for their future. It's not just about acquiring concepts learning ideas but actually building skills skills that we refer to as 21st century skills and i love the idea that you're telling us that you know these skills can be developed through play-based learning in the younger kids right yeah absolutely i love the i love the story you shared about the caterpillar and the natural curiosity because that's the wonderful thing and even as adults when you go into nature you, you, you know and you see a mountain or a waterfall or uh, a trail of ants you know there is this sense of wonder and awe yeah. that just draws you in and you you start to wonder ponder hypothesize sort of and realize again your sense of place in the world and i think that's that's a beautiful thing and just building on the notion of based learning some people feel that you can't develop those core concepts or skills but of course when you're engaging in play 
children are learning literacy and numeracy when yeah. they're playing you know the dialogue and oral communication skills are es escalating um and they're learning their mathematical concepts. One of my favourite things, which is sort of more, well, it can be indoor or outdoor, mm -hmm. is block play with young children where they're learning to construct and they're ha using their imagination and they're um, thinking of things that they would like to create and then they go in and start creating them with blocks and that relationship between 2D and 3D spatial understanding the negotiation that goes on if children are collaborating with more oh, yeah. children, you know, they have to negotiate their ideas, turn take, and of course, how you cope when the structure that you've been building on for an extended period of time falls down, mm -hmm. um, you know, that whole idea of resilience and, yeah. you know, it, it's okay, things happen in life. Um, that might be upsetting, but it's okay. You know, you can you can come back from that, and that's that whole social and emotional um, development that play fosters as well, and that ties into the well-being piece because if you know more and more, we're realising that students, when they're hitting high school, the increases of uh, depression, anxiety, yeah. those things. If we don't have develop at strong foundations through social emotional learning um, at a young age, it really has long-term long -term consequences. And the other thing too is um, there's um, some positive psychology with the notion of flow. Like when you're really engaged in, set, in something, you lose all sense of time and the place. Mm -hmm. um, and that really happens a lot in play where children can be engaged in something and, you know, it can be the afternoon and they're, you know, they've started on it in the morning. They are just so engrossed that yeah. they have this sustained, sustained engagement. And as you said, it's just truly joyous. Mm -hmm. You know, and yes. why wouldn't you want learning to be joyous? I yes. think we all want that for our students. Yeah. So it's fun at the same time engaging, right? It's not just yeah, fun, exactly. fun, happiness, but, you know, the sustained engagement. And and that's very interesting because ironically, like if you put a lot of, you know, too much structure in the classrooms, especially for the younger ones, they actually lose engagement. We actually lose engagement with them because of the too much structure that we put. I'm really, I'm really getting the idea now of nature pedagogy and play-based learning. I thought that they were just like what you've said. Sometimes we take things like in a binary way, like it's either this or that. But I love your point a while ago that we can actually integrate these things. What strategies or tips could you give to our educators or, or listeners, things that they can do to promote play-based learning or even just to promote creativity or an individuality in their classroom? Sure. Um, I, I suppose the first thing is play-based learning is open-ended. Open and teachers um, and any age of uh, student that they're teaching can develop open-ended open-ended tasks which in invite the students and young children to take the learning at their level 
um, and take it to the point that they're interested in. Obviously, a skilled teacher is watching and supporting them and providing provocations and um, challenges to keep extending um, the children in that in that learning as well. So that's one way. Um, the other thing I'd say is know your children and actively listen um, to what they're interested in, even with a prescriptive curriculum, um, which I found when I was teaching, there was always a way to integrate the children's interest. And when they feel that they are known and valued and their thinking is of interest to the key adults in their life, it really inspires them and gets them engaged in their learning. Um, and underpinning all of that is seeing um, particularly young children as capable and competent. Uh, the other thing that I suppose nature, pedagogy and being in nature, has the gift it's been to me is just to value stop and be in the moment. I think as teachers and society we're always trying to move to the next thing, yeah, um, yeah. you know, and we don't just take that moment to celebrate where we are at this point in time. Um, the other thing would be just let children get bored because mm -hmm. when you're bored, that's when you become your most creative. So I think that's a, that's a good thing. Um, and just take families on the journey with you, particularly when you're, if you're interested in um, taking children out into nature. Like I was very fortunate I grew up going out into um, the local natural environment. So I feel yeah. quite comfortable in that environment, but not everybody's had that experience. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. very hard for parents and carers True. if a teacher saying, well, I'm going to take my your child out into this natural environment if they've never had any experience of it. So that really requires a lot of trust on their part to um, let their children do that. So um, take families on the journey with you. And, of course, um, as you know, collaborate and work with peers because there's nothing more powerful as a teacher and energising than um, talking through your ideas, celebrating them with your peers, um, talk, you know, and being stimulated to think even more deeply about what you're doing. All right. I love that you emphasize the idea of, you know, working with parents, collaborating with, with the family, because I think that has been like one major challenge, especially for schools in, in the city, where schools and teachers really find it hard to go outside the city and, and be with nature, especially when there are a lot of concerns, not just logistical concerns, but, you know, building a, a very engaging nature trip for our students. So we're now on our last stretch of our interview okay. yeah and, and i'm really learning a lot about nature pedagogy play-based learning alex anything that you can some final words final notes that you can share to our listeners especially to our educators who might want to try nature pedagogy and play-based learning sure um i suppose the first thing is you don't you know, there is the full immersion into natural environments um, like the forest school approach. But with your outdoor areas, if you're, uh, you know, in schools, your playgrounds, in early childhood centres, your outdoor areas, just think about how you can make them more natural and open-ended 
inviting children to direct their own play. So, you know, you can even do things like that within um, your school or services. Mm. And there's another avenue that they can look up themselves, their teachers after, or as follow-up to this conversation, um, is a thing called loose parts play, which is how you can use loose parts mm -hmm. um, as an open-ended material to foster play and that can be for any age all right so thank you so much for sharing your tips a lot of ideas from you alex i really appreciate giving us uh, sharing us your time and your ideas um so just in time it's raining already here and 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 manila and oh wow yeah so our listeners will be able to hear the rain pouring but just right on time we're done with our interview and i'm really happy i'm very grateful alex thank you so much oh thank you Jean. and and go well to all your listeners and i just want to thank all the educators and teachers who are listening because it's such an important job that you do and i, I just thank you every day for what you give to the children that you work with yes Thank you so much to our dear listeners, our dear educators for doing the job. It could be very, very tough and challenging, but we believe in you. We believe in our educators and teachers. Alex, one last time, if they would like to continue to, if they have questions to you, do you have a social media account that they can follow? Oh, yes, I do. I'm on Twitter. You're going to ask me for my Twitter handle. I can't remember it. I think it's Alex underscore Harper one. So they can get in contact. That would be the best way. All right. So thank you so much, Alex. And Thanks, Jim. It's been a pleasure. And thank you to our listeners. We'll see you on our next episode. Goodbye, everyone.